great job. We appreciate you a lot. Mr. Wright, thank you. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I'm not going to take a great deal of time here talking about the context, although it's been a while since we probably have been together in this. Uh, We hit and then we miss, and we hit and we miss, uh, stretching it out throughout the semester. Uh, But today we're talking about esteeming pastors, honoring pastors, the church's responsibility as members of the church to our our pastors, our leaders, and that's what uh, the text is all about. Chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse 12. I will say this, that in the light of the coming of Christ, uh, our church ministries are essential. And uh, the devil is working overtime today to try to disrupt what is going on in local churches, to defeat pastors, uh, to discourage believers, we'll see some of that, uh, to work divisions within the body of Christ. And uh, here we find in this text uh, some admonitions for us, how to overcome all of that, uh, how to have a successful ministry, how to have things in order in the church. So uh, that we can rightly reflect uh, the cause, our Savior and His cause. And so, uh, let's read beginning in verse 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded or faint-hearted, Uh, I've known some feeble-minded individuals that needed comfort as well. Uh, Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. And then it goes on. See that you render see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good. And it goes on to various commands that seem rather disjointed. But as you take a look at the body of Christ functioning together in harmony and with purpose, uh, you'll find that these things are not probably as disjointed as they seem. And so, uh, we're talking about the office of the pastor. It's it's an office that's ordained of God. God has ordained that the church be led uh, by chosen individuals, individuals that are equipped and have the character uh, to lead in the local church. And the pastor has then a high calling. He's called to a good work, we read in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And as you read through 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're not going there, but you'll find that the office of pastor is a modeling ministry as well as a teaching ministry. Uh, He is a man, and uh, he has a wife and family in most situations, And that wife and that family uh, provide for him a platform in which he can then represent the Lord and represent his word effectively. And so it's not just what is spoken verbally uh, from the mouth of the pastor that is noted in the local church, but it's what is communicated uh, as well by his actions, by his uh, household, and by how they they work together and uh, so forth. So it's a modeling ministry as well as a verbal ministry. On the extreme side of the so-called spectrum, there are those who place pastors in an exalted, unaccountable uh, position. 
uh, where these pastors demand control in every detail of the church and often in the very minute details of church members. That's the extreme. They demand obedience. Uh, They demand to be first in all things. Uh, They repel any kind of accountability. Uh, They they don't want any of that. That's the the extreme uh, which needs to be uh, brought into control. On the other extreme, however, many churches and Christians act as though they have no responsibility in relation to their pastor. And in fact, the pastor is reduced to a showpiece. You know, he is to be brought out on display as he preaches on Sunday, as long as he doesn't preach too long. And uh, he's brought to the public as a showpiece at weddings and funerals and at the hospital. And he's required to really just stay out of the way uh, at all other times. And you see the two extremes, and uh, neither one of those reflects the reality of what God uh, has called a pastor to be and a pastor to do. Casey Stengel, the longtime manager of the New York Yankees, uh, he had a left fielder that was dropping a lot of fly balls. And so uh, Stengel, being an accomplished baseball player himself, he went out to left field and he asked him to hit some fly balls. And and one was hit out there and and he got under the ball and it hit in his glove and dropped right to the ground. And he looked at the left fielder and he says, you've got left field so messed up, nobody can play it. All right? And it's true that there are some pastors that have so misplayed their position that it's difficult for anyone to follow them. More than ever, we need pastors who are men of integrity, men that lead the church in paths of righteousness, that are equipped men, capable of handling the Word of God and leading the church uh, both in evangelism and in edification. However... The office of pastor demands our esteem and support. The office itself does. In fact, the way in which a church or an individual relates to their pastor really tells a whole lot about that individual and and that church. And and that will have a great impact on the spiritual ministry and the growth uh, of individuals within the church. I had uh, an experience as a very young pastor. Uh, We were trying to institute some things in the church, and, and there was a woman in the church that really didn't uh, like my leadership a whole lot in this area, or in several areas for sure, and she said, I only obey Jesus. I only obey Jesus. Now, she had two boys, and I called her by name, and I said, what if uh, one of your sons, when you told them to do this or to do that, said, I only obey Jesus? And uh, she didn't like that illustration a whole lot, uh, but I thought it illustrated very clearly uh, what she was doing. She, she wouldn't want her son uh, to be disobedient, rebellious in any way, and yet she thought that she could disobey God's constituted leadership in the church and say that she's doing it because she loves Jesus. Those are just pious words, and they're words to be rejected. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 15. In those verses, we see areas of responsibility that individual believers have toward their pastor or pastors. The church is responsible to know the pastor, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord. In other words, 
the church and individual believers in the church should have a right relationship with the pastor to know them. That means you, you don't have a distant relationship with your pastor. As much as possible from your side of things, you need to get to know your pastor. You need to have a relationship with him on a personal level. Allow him to know you. And that's exactly what this is talking about, to know. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. In other words, Jesus says, I have a personal relationship with my sheep. And the sheep should have a personal relationship with their under-shepherd. And that's a, I think that's what those words are talking about. Again, I am the good shepherd, says the Lord Jesus, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. I know them. They know me. I fellowship with them. They fellowship with me. To know them, which labor among you, means that we should know our pastor and allow our pastor uh, to know us as well. And so that means having a loving, personal relationship with our pastor. As he labors, labor among you, it says. The mental, emotional, and spiritual strains take a toll on a pastor. It's hard work. If any man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a wonderful, long-lasting vacation. No. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Uh, it was Alexander McLaren that said that he studied with his boots on because it's, it's hard work to be a pastor and to study the word. As he labors among you, as he leads you, uh, the word over you there is the, is, is the word that means to stand before, to be, be the leader. That's the idea. Peter says, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. And that's a different word, but it's a word that has the idea of being the overseer, uh, being the bishop. Uh, being the one that looks out among the congregation. And we have a word here that's, that's used in Hebrews chapter 13 three times. It's used in 1 Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, uh, where, where the pastor is to be one that rules well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? So this ruling, this over you, has the idea of leadership. Some translate uh, that word that way, in fact. But 1 Timothy chapter 3 gives us the idea of the nature of this leadership and that it, he takes care of the church of God. He looks out to the needs of the church of God. He ministers to the church of God through the word of God and through his example and through his admonitions. That's what the pastor is called to do, and it's not an easy job. One of his big responsibilities is to teach the Bible as he lays the truth before you. Again, in chapter 13 of Hebrews, it says, Obey them which have the rule over you, which lead you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. And so they're teaching the Word of God with a, an idea that it's going to build the church up, protect the church. They do that congregationally. They do that individually as they, as they watch for the souls uh, of their people. This idea of leadership is not just... Uh, 
a detached leadership. Uh, a leadership where you just follow me if you want to, and if you don't want to, it's not important because in the context of Hebrews, it says, obey them that have the rule over you. Submit yourselves. That's the kind of leadership that has authority. That's the kind of leadership that we must follow because God has commanded us uh, to follow that leadership. We're all sheep in wolves' territory. We're lambs in the lion's den, one said. Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, and he wants to devour uh, everyone that names the name of Christ. You'd like to put them out of commission. So God has given the church overseers for its establishment and for the steadfastness and stability of that church. Pastors are God's instrument for the advancement of your personal holiness. God wants to sanctify you. Uh, he wants to make you more like Christ, but he wants to use the instruments that God has given of pastors and teachers uh, that you might grow, understand the word, and become more like the Savior. To a great measure, the individual will grow in his personal growth, and he'll have blessings as one of God's sheep in relationship to how well a pastor does his job. Now, I had a guy say one time, or I read where he said that, you know, uh, if the pastor doesn't do his job well, that he's going to take his people to, uh, to hell, uh, and that's not the case. Uh, I tell people, if you walk into the church as a saved person, uh, no mismanagement or mishandling of the Word of God in the pulpit can ever undo that, right? But I will tell you this, uh, what he does in the pulpit and how well he executes his office and how well he teaches the Word of God to his people will make a difference in the process and the progress of sanctification of his people and the health of his church. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that the washing of water by the word, Titus says, well, we read it there that the church is perfected uh, by the word of God as well. So as a pastor, he's got a hard job. He needs to be watching to maintain the order and purity that's necessary uh, to keep a spiritual climate in the church. How do you choose a pastor? If I were, if I were on a pulpit committee, and I've never been on a pulpit committee, I've been the subject of you know, the examination of a pulpit committee. But if I were on a pulpit committee, I would not just be looking for education, though I believe in it, obviously, and personality. I wouldn't be looking just for that or looks, to be sure. I wouldn't be choosing somebody because of their music ability or their business acumen. I wouldn't do that. Uh, I primarily would be looking at somebody that could watch for my soul. Somebody that could to take the Word of God and handle it effectively and apply it appropriately. Somebody that will pray as he's been called to do. Someone uh, that can watch for me, knowing that I'm living in the enemy's territory. And the sooner we realize that the church can't compete with the movies and, and the ball games and the concerts, uh, the better off we'll be. Uh, it's not an entertainment center. The church is a place of serious business as we prepare uh, for going out into enemy territory and fighting uh, the good fight of faith. 
1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. The laborer is worthy of his reward. And so, labor implies, again, strenuous activity. Preparation and communication of God's word is no easy task. It takes hard work. The church is also responsible to esteem the pastor. Esteem him. That means to to respect him, to think well of him. The office, to be sure. Again, Paul writes to Timothy, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of what? Double honor, especially they that labor in the word and doctrine. And so we're to give honor, uh, esteem uh, to the pastor through proper God-given titles. I begin this, and I know it's an application already, but we call call him pastor. Uh, That's a a title of affection as well as a title of authority. uh, I've heard people call their pastor by his first name. Well, you know, that kind of goes with having a loving personal relationship. There are times when that may be very appropriate. But in the context of his public duties, to be throwing around his first name casually, I think is a bad idea. I think it's a good idea to call him pastor. Though you say, well, why don't you call him bishop or elder? Well, that would be scriptural, but it might not be understood well. Um, You call him elder, he might just be confused with the Mormons. And you call him bishop, he might just be confused with the Catholics or the Episcopalians. Uh, I know that's the context. It's been uh, standard operation, so to speak, in in Baptist churches to use uh, the word pastor, at least in our generation. Elder is a word that's often been used in history. And so... Uh, I think you need to be careful how you respect the pastor, uh, particularly before other people. And I want you to get to know your pastor as you get out of Maranatha and as you get away in your, in your business and your family life and you, and you start growing and you find your local church wherever you're going to be. Uh, and do it now, by the way, but in the future for sure. And you, you become Uh, an integral part of a local church. Get to know your pastor, but respect your pastor. And particularly, if you get to know him well, respect him publicly. I used to have a friend that had uh, a mom whose name was Bertha, and uh, he called her Big Bertha. Now, that was her name, and she was big, but it wasn't very very respectful uh, to, to do that. He didn't lie about anything, but it wasn't respectful. Uh, Be sure that you use respectful titles uh, for your pastor. We're to honor him by scriptural protection. We're to protect him. He's a a representative of the truth. He speaks the word of God. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, it talks about they received the word of God, which he heard of us, Paul said. In 1 Corinthians 14.37, speaking as an apostle, he said, the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. And uh, today, those that take those commandments of the Lord and teach them to us are also speaking the word of God. Uh, They're standing in the pulpit and they're honoring God uh, by their teaching and works. And so the pastor is God's authority figure. He's one that leads the church of God. He's closely identified with the word and the church. And so to dishonor him is to dishonor both of these. 
to dishonor the Bible and the Lord and his church. It tells something about a person when they, when they speak down about their pastor or their church. By the way, uh, your family will pick up on that. Those men, those of you that uh, will be leading a home one day, uh, your wife and your family and your kids and sitting around the table and, and you say things about the pastor, uh, you know what that does? It undercuts his authority and his effectiveness and the heart and mind of those in your family. Now they aren't listening with the same ears that they would have if you encouraged their ministry. And you lifted them up and you reminded your family that uh, they are speaking for God as imperfectly as they might do it. And uh, they are still uh, those that are ordained to speak in that place. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Them that sin rebuke before all, that others also may hear. Now, I know that uh, often this verse is used about rebuking sinning pastors. You've got two or three witnesses, they've, they've sinned, and we're talking about scandalous sin, and uh, they're brought before the church and they're rebuked before all. Uh, and that may be exactly what the text means, but it's also likely that it's talking about those that do not follow that pattern, that bring accusations unnecessarily and inappropriately and fraudulently against the pastor that they're to be rebuked before all. And the, the grammar there, them that sin is masculine plural, that's a participle, and witnesses, masculine plural, but against an elder, that is singular. And so uh, we're talking about probably both, or maybe witnesses. Uh, it's not definitive by the grammar, but I will tell you that this is, these verses are protecting the integrity and the office of pastor. And we need to be very careful uh, what we say and how we conduct ourselves in that regard. We're to honor him through sufficient, even generous pay. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. As a pastor, I often hoped that I could find an interpretation that would satisfy me, meaning that I should get paid twice as much as anybody else. All right? I, I, I couldn't find it. All right? And I, I think double honor means something else. It means honor and honorarium. It means that you respect him, you honor him, and that you also give him uh, the pay uh, that he needs. Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. It's repeated a number of times in Scripture. God is generous. He takes care of his own. And, and that's simply the truth. He's designed his work to continue. That's why you don't muzzle the ox. Galatians 6 and verse 6 says, let, uh, let him that is taught in the word communicate or, or share or fellowship, I, literally, unto him that teacheth in all good things. We're, we're to share our material blessings uh, with those that are communicating to us spiritual blessings. That's a scriptural principle. The word honor is the word tima or time. It's translated price or payment on occasion. Men who devoted their time and energy to the work of God have a right to be compensated. They don't have the opportunities that others have. They're, they're 
investing their time, and by the way, time is money in this case. They're investing their time here so that they don't have time in in the secular arena uh, to make the living the same way everyone else can. And so whether it's full-time, part-time, or whatever it is, man that works and labors strenuously in the work of God uh, to give the word of God to his people is a man that is worthy of compensation. Now, he has a right, but rights aren't always claimed. For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? 1 Corinthians 9, 9. Well, Paul says, I have the right to be paid. I'm summarizing 1 Corinthians 9. But he says, If others be partakers of this power or right over you, are not we rather? I have this right. Nevertheless, we have not used this power. We have not used this right. We have not claimed it for ourselves. But we suffer all things or permit all things that we not hinder the gospel of Christ. So there are occasions when uh, we can say, no, it's better that we do not uh, take that pay. But the right is there nonetheless. We're also to honor or esteem the pastor through genuine praise. Not in our text, but a couple of Proverbs. Withhold not good from them to whom it is due when it's in the power of thine hand to do it. You know, it's, I, as a pastor for 30 years before I came to Maranatha, I will tell you, I never uh, was comfortable with a lot of things that would be said about preaching and message, not because it was condemning, but because it was almost flattering at times and and insincere on occasions, okay? But a genuine, sincere thank you and praise that God has spoken to my heart, that he's used the ministry of the word today, goes a long way uh, with a pastor to encourage him to, to continue the work and, and uh, to know that God is using him and to keep him from uh, despair, from discouragement that would would not be a benefit to anybody in the church, but to continue to encourage him so that the church is continually blessed. We're also to honor or esteem him through greatly needed, heartfelt prayer. Do you pray for your pastor? Paul repeatedly asked for prayer, praying always with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and Supplication for all saints. He says, I pray for the saints, but and for me that utterance may be given unto me. Pray for the saints, but pray for me as well that I, I can speak the word of God. I can have utterance that God may open my mouth boldly uh, to make known the mystery of the gospel. He says a similar thing to the Colossians. And, and here in this text, uh, later on in the chapter, it says, Brethren, pray for us. Just pray for us. Nothing will contribute to a pastor's success more effectively than continual prayer from his people. And then we're to honor him by faithful, enthusiastic support of his work. Verse 13, to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. We quoted Hebrews chapter 13. It says that they watch for your soul, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. It's their responsibility to watch, but how are they going to watch? Are they going to watch it with watch your soul with grief because it's such an oppressive situation? Or are they going to do it with joy because we're all on the same team and, and we're all praying together and we're all working together and we're doing it in harmony and we can have joy in the process? 
when we follow his leadership, we're esteeming him highly. And it pleases a pastor when the people are faithful to church and the basic responsibilities of the church. I always knew when my people were there and when they're not. I went back to a 25th anniversary of a church my wife and I planted, and I, I saw some of the people still sitting in the same pew. And there was one guy who said, you know, you sit here, good to see you. And one family here, good to see you. And, and Bob, it's good to see you sleeping in the front as usual. And, and uh, yeah, I, I said that. And, and he laughed, and everybody laughed because, you know, there were many times he had a hard time staying awake. It's probably the preaching, but nevertheless, uh, I knew they were there. I knew where they sat. I looked for them. And it was an encouragement when they were faithful uh, to the Word of God, faithful to the house of God. It was an encouragement when people cooperated in the program of the church, the evangelistic efforts and revival meetings, track distribution. They, they invited friends on, on special days that we may have. Not many of them, but we would have some. Door-to-door evangelism, as well as visitation when you had people coming out and, and supporting. Well, that's an encouragement uh, to the pastor. Rather than somebody says, oh, pastor, those things just don't work. And I'd say, well, how's your plan working? You know, you know somebody's got to have a plan. Somebody's got to have uh, something that we can accomplish. And, and so help us with it, if you would, if you're a member here. Finally, the church is responsible to assist the pastor. That's implied. Verses 13 and 14 are written to the congregation as the previous verses are as well. And if you want to bring them together, if you want to really help your pastor, then, then do what is your responsibilities are in the church. And as you do that, and as you get involved, uh, you'll find that that will encourage him as well, and it'll be a delight to his soul. We need to reinforce his program to assist him. We, we reinforce his leadership purposes by seeking, by seeking peace in the church. What a grief it is when people won't forgive one another. Yeah, that's why uh, one of the reasons why we have the Lord's Supper on a regular basis in a local church. Because we're communicating that we're of one bread. We're communicating that we're together. That we belong uh, not only to the Lord, but to one another. And when someone sits on this side of the church, because they don't want to talk to somebody on that side of the church, and there's been a barrier there, and someone in, uh, it refuses to forgive... Or there's been an offense and someone is uh, refusing to repent, uh, that destroys the peace of the church and, and the effectiveness uh, of the ministry. And so reinforces leadership by seeking peace in the church. Reinforces leadership purposes by warning problem people, the unruly, the disorderly, literally those that are not keeping rank. It's a, it's a military term. It's used in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. It, it implies, uh, or it's, it's applied to this matter of not working in this case. They were unruly. They were disorderly. Instead of working, they were busybodies. Instead of, instead of working, uh, they were sitting out on the field, evidently waiting for Jesus to come. And, and they weren't supplying their own needs. They were muching off of others. It's the responsibility of everyone to speak to another believer in the church that's, so to speak, out of step with the spiritual tone or the leadership of the church. I had 
at times they had as many as 18 deacons and as few as one or two or three, no matter what church we were in. And uh, I had, in one of the larger churches, I had uh, a man that I said it was in. He said it was out. I said it was up. He said it was down. I said it was black. He said it was white. And uh, it was just like, it was going on like that. And, and uh, he was practically the only one like that. I mean, everybody else seemed to be uh, real happy, and the ministry was going well. And, uh, but he was just a problem. And I couldn't communicate, couldn't talk to him, couldn't change it, couldn't find out what the problem was or anything like that. But here's how it got solved. One of my other good men went to him and called him by name and said, you know, we've noticed, there's some of us that have noticed, and I'm your friend, and I love you, and he, he was, they were friends. He said, but you're out of step. You understand it? You're out of step. You're causing difficulties uh, in the church. And it kind of reminded me of the graduation day uh, boot camp, and the stands are full, and the parade is coming down, and the soldiers are marching left, right, left, right, left, right. And there's only one guy in the whole field. He's going right, left, right, left. And of course, his mom sat there and said, look at that. Everybody's out of step but my son. Right? No, if you find that in a church, you find uh, that somebody is going left, right, when everybody else is going right, left, it might be an opportunity for you to rather than it escalating uh, to the pastor and to to the whole congregation, uh, for you to go and kind of help that thing and talk to an individual and help them to see that they need to get back in step so the church can have harmony. And that's what I believe all our responsibilities, we all have that responsibility. And then we reinforce his leadership purposes by giving personal comfort to the discouraged. We live in discouraging times, don't we? Times of adversity and opposition are upon us, and many people feel like giving up. And so we need to seek out those individuals and help them along the way, help them to see uh, the hope that they have uh, in Christ. And then we reinforce his leadership purposes by exercising patience in all situations and with all people. And and we see that in verses 14 and 15. Be patient toward all men. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. Colossians 3.15 is kind of a favorite church verse for me. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which you are also called in one body, and be you thankful. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, speaking plural to the congregation Let the peace of God rule. Let it be the umpire. Let it decide matters. And so, many times we have a choice. Do we want to have a problem, or do we want to avoid a problem? And if you're a godly individual, you're going to want to avoid issues if you can do that. You're not going to want to make more out of something that needs to be made. You're not going to want to be offended easily. You know, you're walking down the hallway, and they didn't talk to me, you know. And uh, you say, well, I'm offended. And then you, uh, you can choose and say, you know what, I bet they were distracted. I bet that they really didn't even see me. I don't know what they're going through. I need to pray for them. You can take things two different ways. But we're to be patient toward all men. And it helps the pastor when people minimize conflict in the local church. 
when they rise above that and, and say peace is more important uh, than anything else. Many church squabbles have started by those who were offended, didn't get their way. And it's not our right to do that. It's not our right to get even. It's our right to follow ever, follow that which is good at all times. And so, let me wrap this up. I, my time is gone, and I know this is a fast wrap-up, and I just uh, was listening to a student in homiletics and how they wrapped up, you know, and I, I'm going to do everything wrong here. I'm just going to jump out of this message, but you're going to be happy because you're going to leave, okay? Um, but Christians are to know their pastor, to esteem their pastor, and to assist him uh, in the ministry. Uh, that's our responsibility. We need to be rightly related to our spiritual leadership, not distant from them, not hiding from them, uh, not going to church incognito, but letting them know who we are and uh, letting them know about our lives and our needs and sharing that with them and then hearing from them as well. Don't allow prayerlessness or selfishness or lawlessness to destroy your ministry in the local church and your relationship with your pastor. And by the way, you can't call anyone your pastor if you're not a sheep, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. I know we're late in the semester, but you know what? It wouldn't be surprising to me to know that somebody's just been rocking along during the semester, hoping that they can make it to the end of the, end of the school year, and uh, the pressure will be off. I trust that the pressure will never be off, but I trust that you'll surrender to Christ as your Savior today. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that we have a pastor and we have a church and we have the, the great shepherd of the sheep, our Savior. Thank you for allowing us to be part of your work to advance it. And then, Lord, there are many here that are preparing to be pastors, to be involved in ministry. Enable them, Lord, to be the kind of representative uh, that you would want them to be personally and give them the gifts and and the tools that they need to communicate the Word of God effectively as well. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.